Thank you. Good morning. It's good to see you all in person. Those of you who are joining by live stream, thank you so much. Those of you who are out and about, the rest of the building, I'll trust you're there. We are going to be in Psalm 77 this morning. Psalm chapter 77. Someday, we're going to get back to using these. This is a hymnal. Okay. Um, when we do, just so that you know, and our music committee has discussed this, uh, we're, we're going to continue to keep the words on the screen because there's something that happens uh, that you do, and I don't know if you realize you do this when the words are on the screen, is that you go from this to this. And just the sound and, and the, the energy is, is great. So we're going to have both and, as it were. Um, but these books, these are hymnals, these are songs that, that we sing. And actually, we have two of them uh, that we use. Um, if Old Testament Israel had one of these books, and I, I, they didn't, but if they had one of these books, if you were to take the book and kind of look at it like this, and you were to go, oh, probably about like this, roughly, okay? You'd look at about that many of the songs, okay? About that many would be laments in their songbook. From a country standpoint, from an Old Testament Israel standpoint, if you were to take their whole hymn book, you're to go like that, about one-third of the songs that they would sing all together would be laments. We're not very good at lamenting. The reason why I say that is because, you know, a lot of times we think of music, we think of songs and tunes and words that are supposed to make us feel good. You know, in 1988, 33 years ago, the most popular song in the country was a song called Don't Worry, Be Happy. <laughs> Isn't that what music is supposed to do? Don't worry, be happy. I don't think Don't Worry, Be Happy would have been the song of the year for 2020. <laughs> in fact, if you were to play that song to a small business owner who was carrying the last of his possessions or her possessions out of their business that they just shuttered up, if you were to sing the words, don't bury, be happy, you'd probably end up making a visit to the emergency room. Why? Because frankly, there are certain songs, there are certain prayers that are appropriate for the circumstances. And we need some 2020 songs, laments, our 2020 songs, if I can put it that way. We're going to be reading one today, Psalm chapter 77. Now, this psalm is almost right smack dab in the middle of the book of Psalms. The book of Psalms has 150 psalms, and within those 150 psalms, you actually have five sub-books. So you have book one, book two, book three, book four, book five. Psalm 77 is right in the middle of book three. And in book three inside the Psalms, you actually have what we would call the gloomiest section of the Psalms. From Psalm 73 to Psalm 89, you have a pretty somber tone 
And that's what we're talking about when we're talking about a lament. We're talking about the tone or the emotion of this prayer, of this psalm. Roughly one-third of the psalms are laments, by far the largest category in the book of Psalms. The bleakest of the psalms we're not going to look at today at Psalm 88. But Psalm 77, in it we see difficulties that the author, Asaph, was personally experiencing. If we were to make a musical comparison, we would say this psalm at least starts in a minor key. It's not going to have a cheery tune that's going to light your path and have you whistling throughout the day. No, it's going to be more reflective of the circumstances. Now, as Pastor Kent mentioned, uh, not too long ago, a few weeks ago, we, we had a, a GLBI microcourse on lament psalms. Some of what I shared there uh, is going to, to come out in the sermon. The pastors have asked me to, to share a lament psalm. But um, I trust that anytime the word is preached, uh, there's going to be something living and active that the Holy Spirit will incorporate into your life that will not only be a blessing, um, but have us change to become more like Jesus Christ. So before we go any further, let's pray. God, we ask you this day to have your word be your word, not mine. Lord, I want to proclaim it, exposit it, help to apply it. But God, this is your word. And we want to get it right. We want to make sure that as we live life, we don't filter the word through life's circumstances, but we filter life through the word. Um, and that's a really important thing to get clear. God, as we see men who walked to this planet, who breathed air and drank water just like us, who woke up, had back pains, had trouble with their bosses, got old, or these weren't people of olden times who can't be relatable to where we are, or we're reading of human beings who filtered life through what they knew. And God, we have been blessed to have so much of your word. And accordingly, we have a great responsibility to make sure that we live accordingly. Lord, even as we heard earlier this morning, to be doers of the word and not just talkers. So God, as we look into your word today, change us. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Let's look at Psalm 77. says it's for the choir director, according to Jeduthun. This is a psalm of Asaph. My voice rises to God, and I will cry aloud. My voice rises to God, and he will hear me. In the day of my trouble, I sought the Lord. In the night, my hand was stretched out without weariness. My soul refused to be comforted. When I remembered God, then I am disturbed. When I sigh, then my spirit grows faint. You have held my eyelids opened. I'm so troubled that I cannot speak. I have considered the days of old, the years of long ago. I will remember my song in the night. I will meditate with my heart and my spirit ponders. Will the Lord reject forever? And will he never be favorable again? Has his loving kindness ceased forever? Has his promise come to an end forever? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Or has he in anger 
withdrawn his compassion? And I said, it is my grief that the right hand of the Most High has changed. I shall remember the deeds of the Lord. Surely I will remember your wonders of old. I will meditate on all your work and muse on your deeds. Your way, O God, is holy. What God is great like our God? You are the God who works wonders. You've made known your strength among the peoples. You have by your power redeemed your people, the sons of Jacob and Joseph. The waters saw you, O God. The waters saw you. They were in anguish. The deeps also trembled. The clouds poured out water. The skies gave forth a sound. Your arrows flashed here and there. The sound of your thunder was in the whirlwind. The lightnings lit up the world. The earth trembled and shook. Your way was in the sea and your paths in the mighty waters. And your footprints may not be known. You led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. As we look at this song, a song that the community sang all together, I want us to simply look at two points. The first one is this. Bring your complaint to God. Bring your complaint to God. If there was a formula that Asaph had to find peace through difficulty, the psalmist was following it, but it wasn't working. If there was a recipe in order to find comfort and peace, the psalmist was doing his best, but it wasn't working. What do you mean by that? Well, look at verse 1. My voice rises to God. I will cry aloud. My voice rises to God, and he will hear me. Going to the Lord and seeking him out. Surely that is what the, the one who fears God ought to do, right? But in verse 2, In the day of my trouble I sought the Lord. In the night my hand was stretched out without weariness. We see this persistence calling out to God. But my soul refused to be comforted. We have an English translation of this. If we were to read it in Hebrew, it wouldn't be really as smooth and lyrical as it is here in the English. In the Hebrew, it's actually very disjointed. It's very choppy. It's, it's, it's as if the psalm writer is writing here, but just writing in, in chunks. He's writing in small, like, bursts of, of words. In verse 3, he, he thinks about God. He's meditating upon God, and the result wasn't comfort. The result was more discouragement. Verse 3, when I remembered God, then I'm disturbed. When I sigh, then my spirit grows faint. Even sleep escaped. In verse 4, you've held my eyelids open. I don't even know what to say. I'm so troubled I can't speak. You know, as I was reading, as I thought of Romans chapter 8, that familiar passage where there are times in the life of a believer where words are hard to come by and the Holy Spirit intercedes on our behalf with groanings that cannot be uttered. Asaph didn't even know what to say. And if you don't know what to say, how, are you, how do you get an explanation? Right? If you can't verbalize what you're feeling, how do you expect someone to answer it? You know, it just felt like God would never come to the rescue. As hard as he tried, 
It just felt like God was distant. Verse 7, will the Lord reject forever? And in verses 7 through 9, we see time playing to what he's saying. Will the Lord reject forever? Will he never be favorable? Has his loving kindness ceased forever? Has his promise come to an end forever? There was no hope in sight. I mean, it's one thing to be able to kind of tie your knot and hang on for a little course of time, maybe a little bit, but you know, when you see the, the end, when you see that, 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 that distance out there where it's okay, if I can just make it until then, that wasn't in view for, for Asaph. You know, I think of a congregation singing those words. I think of verses 7 through 9. It would almost feel dirty to sing that, wouldn't it? Like, when you think about what we just sang, Almighty Father, you alone are holy. You are creator. You are all in all. Yours is the power. Yours is the glory. Yours is the majesty. You are God. Yet, I think it's important to understand that we have God's permission to talk to him this way. We have God's permission to talk to him this way. What do we mean by that? Well, we have other psalms that are laments. You have Psalm chapter 22, one that Jesus himself spoke on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We have Psalm chapter 10, verse 1. Why do you stand afar off, O Lord? See, what we're doing when we talk to God this way, we're not talking to him in anger. We don't see a shaken fist at God. But we see what we feel, and we see what we see. And frankly, the psalm writer here is telling God what he sees and what he feels, even if it isn't factually true. I mean, we can answer the questions in verses 7 through 9, right? Will the Lord reject forever? That's an easy one, Asaph. No. Okay, deal with it, right? But he asks six, seven questions. Because this is the way it feels. This is the way it looks like. Psalm chapter 89 is like, it's, it's a royal psalm, but, but many commentators call it a lament psalm as well. Because you have 37 verses of praise to God. And then in verse 38, I believe it is, you have this table turn. I mean, you, you have this complete turn of the perspective where it goes from praising God to, God, you have rejected your covenant. God, you've forsaken your anointed one. And it's like, whoa, wait a second. This song was in a major key and everything sounded great. And then it turns on a dime and it's not happy. The fact of the matter is, is that as humans, this is the way that it looks, and this is the way that it feels. Now, 
What about Philippians chapter 4, 8? Whatever things are true, think on these things. Aren't these things not true? What we see, what we feel, aren't we? Didn't, we just prayed this, right? Let's filter life through the grid of the Bible and not filter the grid of the Bible through, or filter the Bible through the grid of, of life, right? Whatsoever things are true. And, and let's be honest, if, if we're sitting around a table maybe on a Wednesday evening or, or we're in a, a Bible study and someone were to pray this, we're almost tempted to shush them. Shush, shush, shush. No, don't say that. Right? To question God? But the fact is, is that what is true in these moments is that the way things look and the way they feel, even if they aren't true. Because that's part of us being human beings. And in this chapter, to make us feel even more uncomfortable, in this chapter there are no external or physical enemies. You know, a lot of times in the lament psalms you have the psalm writer looking to someone out there who's afflicting. We don't see that in this chapter. In lament psalms you often have the psalm writer talking about sin that needs to be confessed. And we didn't see that in this chapter. If there is a problem, or if there is a source to the problem, it's God. And this really starts helping us to, to, to really dig down into what a lament really is. Now we're getting to the heart of the lament because a lament is something that really only Christians do. Christians do it because it's a prayer. It's a cry out to God, and it's a cry out to God that is rooted in a true belief that he is both sovereign and good. He's in control, and his control is governed by his goodness. And so what we see and what we feel doesn't seem to match up with what we know to be true of God. It's this paradox. Pain and what I know of God. You know, God delights in saving souls, right? Why doesn't he save your unbelieving spouse? Why doesn't he change the heart of your wayward child? The Bible says that children are an inheritance from the Lord. So why has he kept some of you from having them? Why has he taken some of them away from you? The person who finds a wife or a husband finds a good thing, right? Does it feel like God has forgotten you? Does it feel like God took a good one away from you? You know, as Christians, we know that we are called to obey and to grow in Christ-likeness. Then why doesn't God take away that sinful desire that we hate? That part of us that when we confess it to God time and time again, God, I don't want to confess this again, but I'm guilty again. Please forgive me. And I do it again and again. Why doesn't he just take it? He could if he wanted to, right? I mean, just like that. 
You know, when you hear someone accept Christ as their Savior and they talk about certain sins that just disappear, just like that. Isn't it amazing how sometimes the greatest blessings of some Christians are the greatest sources of, of pain for other Christians? Like, they're rejoicing at what God has done, and you might be listening thinking, God, I've been praying for that for years. Let's look at Hebrews chapter 4. This is pretty heavy. And that's okay. This is a familiar passage to many of you, I think, maybe. Verse 14. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted or tested in all things as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Isn't everything that we're talking about right now illustrating a time of need? And does God want us to just grin and bear it? Does God want us to just somehow act as if it's not real? God, this is the way I'm feeling. This is what I'm seeing. And it seems like everything I know about you to be true isn't true right now. God, I'm going to you. Not because I'm mad at you, but because I just don't understand. I hurt. And this is real. What does God want us to do? Well, Psalm 77, verse 1, I cry out to God. He doesn't give us the hand. He calls to us. And the psalm writer here cries out to God. Matter of fact, he says it twice, looking back there in Psalm 77, right? Psalm 77, my voice rises to God and I will cry aloud. My voice rises to God and he will hear me. This isn't the psalmist venting. This isn't just catharsis. This is the psalmist calling out to God. We see questions, maybe even frustration, but we don't see anger. It's very careful. It's very important as a Christian to understand we don't see anger. What do we do? We call out to God, but second of all, we don't rush through the discomfort. In this chapter, we have 20 verses. And they're divided up almost evenly. Verses 1 through 9, maybe even 10, on the discomfort. And then 11 through 20 in the comfort, the truth. I think for us as Christians, 
We want to rush through the discomfort. We want it to be over. We want to take the Band-Aid and pull it off as fast as we can. Just get it over with, right? God, though, has his time frame. And he may have you settle for a while where you'd rather not be. You know, at the heart of, the, of, of, of amends, when we go to God, we acknowledge that we don't have any quick solutions to the problem. Lament slows us down when we want to speed up. Lament addresses our addiction to busy. Because busy distracts. Busy empowers us. I'm doing something. I might not be able to fix this, but I at least don't have to stay here. I can, I can go and, and do something else. Because the last thing I want to do is sit and think about this. What lament does is it necessarily slows us down. We want to avoid feeling that way, the way we feel, so we fill in the ache by doing something. But God is doing something. He is accomplishing his plan according to his wisdom and according to his time frame. And I'll mention this a bit more fully later. But there's a real practicality in this truth about not rushing through the discomfort. And I say a practicality, especially as we lament with others. Because when we lament with others, often we are very uncomfortable. We're uncomfortable coming alongside them because we don't know what to say. We don't want to say the wrong thing. And because we're uncomfortable, we want to maybe rush them along so that they, and maybe we, can be happy again. But instead, maybe God just wants you to be, to be there, and to help bring this burden to him, and let him provide the resolution if and when he chooses to do so. You know, some of the biggest mistakes I've made in ministry was spending too much time trying to figure out solutions to struggles and complaints and not enough time praying with that person and just rehearsing who God is. Listening for hours and hours and talking for hours and hours and trying to get the heart, trying to find that silver bullet of answer, right? You know, that, that, that you can turn the phrase just so, so you have the aha moment. Now it's all solved. Now it's resolved. Now we can pray. And thank God for the wisdom that we asked for at the beginning of the meeting. You gave it to us. On your way. No. Maybe it's better to rehearse who God is, what he is like, and what he's done in the past for his people and for us. You know, I said earlier that only Christians really can lament because of what they assume to be true of God and how the present seems to contradict his character. So they have this, uh, uh, they have this acknowledgement and an agreement that, God, this is your character, and these are my circumstances, and they don't seem to be matching up. 
But another, another characteristic of Christian lament is that we do not remain in the complaint stage of lament. Okay? So there was two points. The first one, bring your complaint to God. But the second point is equally as important. The Christian lament will inevitably, maybe faster, maybe slower, but inevitably, lead to trust in God. And so the second point is choose to trust God. Choose to trust God. One author put it this way. Trust is believing what you know to be true, even though the facts of suffering might call that belief into question. Your present bleak circumstances do not invalidate what is true of God and how he has blessed you in the past. Let's look at verse 11. I shall remember the deeds of the Lord. Surely I will remember your words of old. I will meditate on all your work and muse on your deeds. Your way, O oh God, is holy. What God is great like our God? The circumstances have not changed. And in fact, it's very interesting to see how in verse 3, he talks about when he remembered God, the outcome was discouragement. Verse 5, he talked about meditating the times of old, and it was not Helpful. Yet in verse 11, he says, I shall remember the deeds of the Lord. Surely I'll remember your wonders of old. What? He's doing the same thing that he did in verses 3 and 5. Did it just work better this time? No. Trust in God is the destination of lament, and its result has more to do with choice than with feeling there's a really important transition that takes place here. Not just of mood, but of verbiage. Check this out. Verses 1 through 10, you have the word I occurring an awful lot. Look what happens starting in verse 12. Uh, yeah, verse 11, I'm sorry. Look what happens. I shall remember the deeds of the Lord. Surely I will remember your wonders of old. I will meditate on all your work and muse on your deeds. Your way, O oh God, is holy. What God is great like our God? You are the God who works wonders. You have made known your strength among the peoples. You have by your power redeemed your people, the sons of Jacob and Joseph. The waters saw you. The waters saw you. There's a really important pronoun shift there. I to you. It's a choice to trust. You know, part of a lament is that part of rehearsing back to God what is true about him. So in verse 8, we see, has God's loving kindness ceased forever? And you see that word loving kindness, especially in the Old Testament. You see it in the context of a covenant, an agreement that God has made with his people. This is a binding, always, eternal, permanent covenant. In verse 8, has his loving kindness ceased forever? But then we see in verse 13, your way, O God, is holy. What God is great like our God? No. 
It's a rehearsal of who God is back to him, not just in complaint, but in assurance. This is who you are. Let's look at Habakkuk. Habakkuk. If you don't know where Habakkuk is, you can do one of two things. Keep turning to your right. You'll eventually get there. If you get to the New Testament, you went too far. It's a little bit before that. You could also look at the index at the, the beginning of your, your Bible, if you have a paper Bible. Or if you're using your phone, you can just type in Habakkuk and it goes right there. It's the easy way. But we're in Habakkuk chapter 3. The story of Habakkuk is the story of impending judgment. It's not going to go well. God's judgment is coming on his people for their sin. Look at verse 16. Habakkuk says, I heard and my inward parts trembled. At the sound my lips quivered. Decay enters my bones and in my place I tremble because I must wait quietly for the day of distress for the people to who arise who will invade us. Though the fig tree should not blossom and there be no fruit on the vines, though the yield of the olive should fail and the fields produce no food, though the flock should be cut off from the fold and there be no cattle in the stalls, yet, what a great word, yet, I will exalt in the Lord. I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength and he has made my feet like hinds feet and he makes me walk on my high places. Notice, again, for the choir director. While this was a personal prayer, this was also a communal thing. You see, Asaph, in his faith in God, it was not a blind faith. It wasn't just wishful thinking. Looking back at Psalm 77, Asaph's faith was rooted in who God was, but also what God had done in the past. It was informed by the history of God acting on Israel's behalf. Verse 16, the waters saw you, O God, the waters saw you. They are in anguish. He talks about creation. He talks about God delivering Israel from Egypt. We see that, verse 19, your way was in the sea, and your paths in the mighty waters, and your footprints may not be known. You led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. And we actually see this theme play out in the Psalms quite often, where this, there's this rehearsal of what God had done to deliver Israel from Egypt. And that was meant to assure them that God was for them. I find it interesting how many miracles there are in the Bible of God manipulating or controlling nature to show that he is for his people. The miracles, for example, of fire and hail falling on Egypt during the plagues. Of course, parting of the Red Sea. God is for his people. The sun standing still for Israel with Joshua, right? Hezekiah. Fearing his death and God doing something as, I don't want to say trivial, but it's pretty remarkable, moving the sun's shadow back 10 steps. You, know, you do the physics and astronomy of that, that's no easy task. 
And then Jesus, talking to the wind, talking to the Sea of Galilee, and it listened to him. And it stopped, and it was still to show his disciples that God is for them. There's a song that we sing. It's called, O Love That Will Not Let Me Go. The author is named George Matheson. He lives from 1842 to 1906. When he was 20, he was engaged to be married. He was very much in love. But George Matheson was going blind. He was a, study, a student of theology, and he wanted to be a theologian. He wanted to write. And he was a good writer. By 20, he had written two books on theology already. But he was losing his sight. And when his fiancée found out that he was losing his sight, rather than be married to a blind man, she broke off the engagement. Now, fortunately, George Matheson had a sister who cared a lot about him. And his sister became kind of like the right-hand woman. You know, right-hand man, right-hand woman. So she came along, learned Greek, learned Hebrew, and came alongside him. With her help, George left the world of academia, became a pastor, and he wound up preaching to a church that grew to almost 2,000 people. Now, there was a day, however, that came when George was 40. It was a wonderful day and an awful day. It was a wonderful day because his sister was about to be married. And the night before she was about to be married, the family left to go celebrate. And George sat in his study and he wept because he was going to lose his sister and be left alone. He's facing the prospect of living his life without the one person who had come through for him. And on top of this, he was probably reflecting on his own wedding day 20 years earlier. That never happened. So in five minutes, this is crazy, five minutes, he wrote the song, O Love That Will Not Let Me Go. I rest my weary soul in thee. I give thee back the life I owe. That in thine ocean depths its flow may richer and fuller be. O light that followest all my way, I yield my flickering torch to thee. My heart restores its borrowed ray, that in thy sunshine's blaze its day may brighter, fairer be. O joy that seeks me through pain, I cannot close my heart to thee. I trace the rainbow through the rain, and I feel the promise is not vain, that morn shall tearless be. In lament, we learn about God. And we learn that God desires to change us more than to change our circumstances. God desires, in, when we lament, he desires to change us more than changing our circumstances. And we need to look no further than the death of Jesus Christ the worst thing that's ever happened and the best thing that's ever happened. Amen. You know, Peter tried to change the circumstances. He grabbed that guard's sword, hacked off an ear. He was going to defend, right? Yet as he was being arrested, Jesus said, these things have to take place 
so that the scripture would be fulfilled. In other words, this was the way that it had to be. God wants us to cry out to him, to appeal to him, so that we may progress from sight to faith and from frustration to trust. And I wish that I could promise you that when you arrive at trust, you'll be there permanently. But even our Bible points to the fact that that trust can be fragile. We have about 50 laments. Why not just one? Can't we just rehearse those details and then arrive at trust? No, there's 50 different circumstances in the Old Testament, in the Psalms, where God's people felt and saw things that created frustration and fear and anguish. And they went to God. Choosing to trust may be a lifelong process, but for the Christian, trust is the destination. Not venting on God, not venting on each other, not just getting it off our chest, not finding comfort in an answer that somehow makes sense of everything, not learning lessons, but bringing our complaint to God, knowing that our complaint will turn to trust. And just as a final point of application, being part of the body of Christ, God has not designed you to lament alone. Psalm 77 was written for the nation to sing together. If you neglect the assembling, if you neglect the body, and I, I say this with love, but if you neglect the body, then don't be surprised when you feel all alone. We apologize when people ask us how we're doing and we really tell them. Right? Because we don't want to be a burden on other people. But maybe God would have us to slow down and bear the burdens of one another. Maybe God would have us sit and listen. And in that listening, bringing them to God. Not just being a sounding board. Say, that sounds exhausting. There are some people that just take so much time. They take so much of my energy because they're always telling me, in, this, my, in my discipling relationship, this is, I feel like this is all I'm doing. Bring them to God. Pray with them to God. Take one of those times, just as a point of practicality, take one of those times and choose out maybe six or seven psalms that you just read and pray together. And don't complain to one another. Don't listen to one another in, those, in that moment. Just go directly to God. Because that's what lament is. It's a prayer. In 2005, when my family found out about our daughter's disability. It was June 5th. Pastor Bob Potter, it was an evening service, shared that detail with all of you. It was good because we wanted people to pray for us, but what we also discovered was that we had people who were going to lament with us. That is so valuable. 
It's so valuable to be able to bear one another's burdens. What does that verse mean? When we do that, we fulfill the law of Christ, but we do that bringing those burdens to God. Carrying them to God. Not feeling like we have to have the answer. Because there will be times where we don't have the answer other than we're going to read God's word and we're going to pray and we're going to trust God. And in that moment, that's enough. You know, funerals are inescapable laments. I want to thank um, Kathy Jackson for allowing us to lament even today. When we think of Joe, Joe is not here. He's with the Lord, and he's doing a lot better than we are, but he's not here. And that hurts. I can think, in my, in my more candid moments, I can think of other people on the planet that I'd rather have off the planet than Joe Jackson. Doesn't God want men like Joe Jackson on the planet? In those moments of rawness and pain and frustration, we are able to come together and help bear one another's burdens. And while there is a privilege of corporate lament, finally, you are still not alone when you lament alone. Because remember Jesus. He's the man of sorrows. He's acquainted with grief. I love John 13, verse 1. Now before the feast of Passover, Jesus, knowing that his hour had come, that he would depart from this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Oh. What those disciples were about to go through, the next 36 to 48 hours were unbelievable for them. We know what Christ went through, but these disciples, what they went through as well. And Jesus loved them through the end. We have Jesus who has told us that he will be with us always, even to the end of the age. When we lament, we are never alone. This is a heavy study. I don't think that we're going to have a nice light song to lead us out on our way. And maybe this might have picked a scab in your life. It may have opened up some grievances that, frankly, you'd just as soon not think about. You have a God who's already there. Talk to him. Talk to him. Tell him how you feel. Look in his word. Rehearse what you know to be true of him. Come to him with bold requests. We didn't really touch on that, but one of the elements of lament psalms are bold requests. Going to God, appealing to his character, knowing that he will respond according to his character. And so, asking him. But then choosing to trust in the God that we do not see. Let's pray. Lord, we sang, it is well with my soul. Lord, Speed up the day when our faith will be sight, when the clouds be rolled back as a scroll, when the trumpet shall sound and the Lord shall descend. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. But in the meantime, change us.
change us. You never change. And we are short-sighted. We are not omniscient. Lord, we can't see you. We can't hear your voice like we, like we can each other. Lord, we, we, we have these feelings that sometimes we're even frustrated by our own feelings because we know that we shouldn't feel this way, but we do feel this way because we just do. We need you. We need you. God, for those who needed to hear this today, may it be your word. May they take a comfort or at the very least a path of action to be real with you because that's what you want. That's the God you are. And we can come boldly before the throne of grace in our time of need because of our Lord and Savior who has made that way clear for those who know Christ. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.